0: Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real, true stories. May the narrative be with you. In the family I grew up in, I was not expected to excel, to be assertive, or to even think for myself. Um, This wasn't because I was disabled as a child. Uh, I am blind now. I have a condition that's genetic that causes me to progressively lose my eyesight over my life. Um, The reason for my being smothered and overprotected was really my mother. (laughs) So So at 25, um, I was still pretty innocent um, and naive when I got invited to a one-day sailboat retreat with all the women from my work. Um, We were having a great day on this sailboat um, maybe there was a little wine involved, and we were having a great time. And when this fluke accident happened that resulted in both me and my friend Pamela being knocked out of the boat. Um, and this was the Columbia, and it was too far to swim to any side. And this was May, so the river was really cold, and there was a lot of mountain runoff. And um, I looked over to my friend, Pamela, and she's just bouncing around. She's floating, she's really calm. Not so much me. I say to her, probably more to take care of myself than her, I say, I'm sure it's okay. We're going to be fine. (laughs) Later on, she told me that's when she knew I was in trouble. (laughs) Because I was totally freaked out. I was panicking. I'd never really been in water except for a swimming pool. So free water, it was windy, so there were um, waves. And my mind, instead of being calm and just present, my mind was imagining the bottom of the river and seeing my body down there. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, when you're in water, there's still gravity. So every time a wave came over my head, I was kicking and moving my arms around, trying to not get the water to uh, go over my head. Uh, And in so doing, I was exhausting myself. Um, And the boat made another tack, because they don't have an engine, it's a sailboat, and they missed us. Um, And at that point, my arms and my legs are starting to get numb as hypothermia is setting in. And the boat goes by again and misses us several times. And I'm completely freaked out. And so that by the time the boat is coming straight for us, real slow and steady, instead of waiting to get to the side, I thrust my body up and grab the floorboards at the bow and I go under. And all I feel is the right side of my face pinned against the underside of the bow and this continuous stream of forceful water pushing me against the boat. And every cell in my face is looking and waiting for air, and it never comes. And I am drowning. And I'm completely freaked out, and I can't feel my arms or legs, nothing. Then I must have passed out, and the next thing I know, I'm at the side of the boat. I'm really fuzzy. Someone says, pull yourself up. My brain sends a message to my arms. And nothing, I can't, I can't move my arms. And then there's all these arms of all these ladies and they're grabbing every part of me and pulling me up like a big, heavy, wet sack of potatoes. And they carry me into the cabin. And at that point, I was so close to dying that all I had left was my grief, and my bones. That's the only two things I could feel. With each whale, I could feel my spine rocking. And this was the next couple hours and days. I had to stop and really think about what the hell just happened? (laughs) I almost died. How did that happen? You know, why didn't I look to see if there were life jackets in the boat? You know, why didn't I ask questions? Why wasn't I trying to anticipate what could happen? And I realized I'd just been so smothered and cared for all my life. I didn't know how to be responsible for myself. And I had to learn to be responsible for myself. So now everybody take a deep breath. Make sure you're still breathing. Um, So this began a huge adventure for me. I'm gonna take a little bit of water. So this was a turning point in my life where I had to be learned to really think about how to survive and take care of myself. And it was very magical. I just, and I needed to learn how to be in water that was wild because you know, I didn't want that to ever, ever happen again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I meant to stay in alive. And uh, But miraculously, um, I just kept getting all these invitations to go to the Grand Canyon. Um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good place to learn about how to be in water um and my first trip was a twenty one day private raft trip down the Grand Canyon, and I hiked and I did all these things and um I'm going to skip right to my last trip, so I got invited to go on a private trip with fifteen other people that I did not know um and The thing that was unique about this trip was that they had a paddle raft. There's two kind of rafts. One uh, has a chair that's welded onto a frame that's strapped onto a raft, and there's one person in the chair and they have two oars. There's another kind of raft that's a paddle raft, and people sit straddling the the side tubes so that one leg is dangling in the water and the other leg is inside the boat, and each person has one paddle. Now, I had never paddle rafted the Grand Canyon before. So this was an exciting adventure, and like I'm being responsible for myself. So I call around to these outfitters and say, I've been invited on this paddle raft trip in the Grand Canyon. What do I need to know about paddle boats? And uniformly, they all say, be sure there is a foot cuff in the bottom of the boat. So a foot cuff Just imagine this big, thick strap of plastic that's glued to the bottom of the boat. So as you're straddling it, you put one foot into the cuff. So if, you know, 200 pounds of water, you know, just come and knock you, you can tighten your leg and you're more likely to stay in the boat. So we're at the rendezvous the night before departing. I'm meeting all these people for the first time. And I'm walking around and all the boats are inflated and they're being inspected. And I walk over to the battle the paddle boat and I notice no goats. <laughs> so the leader of the group is there and a bunch of the people who are traveling and there none of them have rafted before. <laughs> yeah. And um <laughs> so I'm trying to, I try not my assertiveness, but I don't want to be too confronted. So I say <clears throat> hmm, you know I um I, I kinda can't help noticing here that there aren't foot cuffs in the boat, and you know my understanding is that that's important when you, <laughs> when you raft big water. And, and In a real loud voice, the leader says, Deborah, stop trying to scare everybody. <laughs> okay, I'm just having a voice here and expressing what I know. But um, so I, <laughs> I went off to the bus to sleep before we drive to Arizona, and I'm weighing it all out do I want to take this risk? You know, Clearly, this guy's report card said, does not play well with others. <laughs> <laughs> is not a team player. Um, which, if you're consciously deciding to put yourself in a risky position, is really dangerous. Because it's so important to be able to listen to the collective wisdom. And I eventually decided to go, not because I knew it was as safe as it could be, and not because I was ditzy or unaware, but because I really wanted to raft in a paddle raft. So we're at the canyon, and we put in, and I see that during the middle of the night, he went in and glued foot cuffs into the boat, (laughs) (laughs) which is a really good thing. That makes me feel a little better. And we're at um, a rapid called Crystal. And Crystal is one of the two biggest rapids in the United States. It has five holes. The first hole, it's called a hole because it's a massive amount of water at around 45 miles an hour, falling off a ledge into a depression and then hitting some really big mountainous boulder or unseen object under the water and spraying back up, straight up. So you go down and then there's a 17-foot wall of white water that you need to have your boat angled straight into and then go into the hole and go through it, let it consume you and get out to the next hole. Wow. So that's, it, the, the second way of running it is a small little calm strip on the right side, which means you have to go into the tongue and quickly go to the right to go down it pretty difficult to do in a paddle boat with novices, because you really would, if, even with an experienced team, you might not be able to do it. So um, I know this rapid. I've run crystal before, and one of my um, people in my party, Farmer, he had a 12-and-a-half-foot raft, which was really too small for the Grand Canyon, <laughs> and he flipped in it, and he was wearing wetsuit boots, and the river, the hydraulics, unknotted his shoestrings and ripped his strings completely out of his boots. So he had to go through the trip without shoestrings because it's one of the first, it's early in the trip. Um, So mega hydraulics. He described it as a washing machine, being in a washing machine. So we're lined up, we go through the tongue, and. We turn right to get to the slip, no way. And I see that all that we've accomplished, because I can still see then, is that we've managed to turn ourselves through, so we're going to take the hole sideways. <laughs> Which means a certain flip. Um, and I'm there, I'm not, I'm not fearful, I've got my, I'm on my little horsey and I've got my paddle and I'm paddling because it's real important if you're on the left side you want to go right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you know, and uh, this hole is so deep that there's a split second where everything kind of gets dark because the wall of water blocks the sun. So I get that split darkness and then slam. I'm free of the boat, and I'm going through it in my life jacket. And it's like, like being mashed and pulled and pushed all over simultaneously. It's so much stimulation. My mind just goes quiet. no more chatter, no more talking, and I'm calm, and I'm just there feeling it. And I don't know which way's up, down, sideways. you know, if I'm being tumbled, it's beyond the kind of sensations that your mind can process then I get pushed out of the hole, (gasps) and then I'm down under again. And this time, I'm being dragged forward, face forward, which you do not want, because if you encounter a boulder, you want to hit it with your feet, not your head. Uh, Stomach first, and I'm on this unimaginable, diagonal, smooth surface of rock where the river has carved right through the bedrock and it's smooth, and I get pushed out again, (gasps) and I'm down under into the third hole. And I think somewhere, uh, and and I'm just there. Each time, I don't freak out, and my mind is quiet, like I've never been able to accomplish it when meditating. (laughs) 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 And I get pushed out somewhere around the fourth hole. Finally, I get into an eddy. Finally, someone comes and pulls me out because my body just feels like it's run a marathon. I can't really do much. And we go into the campsite, and everybody's busy as a bee putting down camp. And I'm just standing there, and I'm holding my oar in my hand. (laughs) It's still in my hand because earlier on, someone said, I don't know about you, but if you get knocked out of the boat, don't lose your oar, they're expensive. (laughs) this wore my head and it's bent like this <laughs> and there's this big huge knot on my head and I just am so ecstatic I feel like I've just graduated from the University of life <laughs> because in less than two years I went from being this kid who didn't take care of herself didn't look for potential danger just blindly trusted somebody else and nearly died, to someone who went through the biggest rapid and didn't have fear and was just there. So I'm really, really in this great state. And, um, and you might notice that I completely skipped out the two years of other trips that I did. There's just too many stories. But I do want to tell you, before I finish, about the returning stones. So when I went to the Grand Canyon, it was this incredible, awesome, aesthetic, euphoric, spiritual connection with the earth that completely blew me away. (coughs) And when I would come home, I would be so depressed because I had lost that connection. Much like the way I imagined that someone with addiction might struggle if they stopped using the substance that made them euphoric. And so I developed this little ritual I would do where every time I was there, I would take a stone from the river, didn't matter what stone, and I would bring it home and put it on my altar so that I could remind myself, okay, I'm here in the real world, and it's noisy and it hurts, but I'm going to go back. I'm gonna take this stone, bring it to the river, give it back, and take another stone. And that's what I would do. Then I would call them my returning stones. But as, after I got crystallized <laughs> in Crystal Rapids, I didn't feel like I had to take a returning stone because all that magic and connection with spirit I now had inside of me And I didn't have to travel to another state to feel that connection.